Ever thought about overthrowing your boss? Everyone in the office just rising up together to throw off the shackles of oppression, taking lunch breaks whenever you like, just making the office more fun and cool and hip. Well, politics is pretty much the only career where this happens on a relatively regular basis. And usually, they make a bags of it. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sean Defoe, and please don't forget to hit subscribe wherever it is you are listening to keep up to date with new episodes and, of course, catch up with old ones as well. If you're wondering, for example, why the cost of fuel is skyrocketing again, why are you paying more every single day, it feels like? Well, we dived into that last week with our Hubble Bubble Oil and Trouble episode, which is still available. This week, Boris Johnson survived a vote of confidence in his leadership despite 148 of his own MPs voting against him. And given he's had a year that would sink most politicians and is still able to hang on to power, this episode is your DIY guide to plotting a heave. I voted for Boris Johnson. I don't believe it's for us to change the Prime Minister. It's the British people who elected him and I stand behind him and support him. People have had divided opinions on leaders for... Well, as long as there have been leaders. But most of the time, when a coup or a heave starts, it actually doesn't come from voters. Generally, it's led by a small number of political elites who are probably already involved in governing, but want some sort of a change. Let's go back to one of the oldest examples, Julius Caesar. Having just won a bloody civil war, Caesar returned to Rome and he started making some changes, some pretty big changes. He made the Senate bigger, for example, reduced Rome's debt, reformed the government and granted citizenship to foreigners living in the Roman Republic. All sounds pretty good, right? He was pretty popular for these things. But then he also named himself dictator for life, which became a problem, as you can imagine the term dictator for life would. A group of senators who feared that Caesar intended to get rid of democracy and make himself a king decided it was time for change at the top. And so, on the Ides of March, they ambushed him in the Senate building and Julius Caesar was stabbed to death by his colleagues. Despite being largely popular with the people, this group decided he had to go which led to another civil war, and Caesar's adopted son Octavian ended up becoming the first Roman Emperor Augustus. So, as far as making a balls of a heave can go, this was pretty up there. Yes, they got rid of the unpopular, to them, leader, but almost all the conspirators were killed, either in the civil war or hunted down afterwards, and the democracy they wanted to uphold, it fell anyway, and led to a long line of variously mental emperors. Now obviously, not all heaves are that high stakes, and most in the 20th and 21st century thankfully don't involve stabbing a leader to death, but most of the failed attempts are marred by similar problems. Bad planning. I suppose the first thing that makes it successful is to have an unpopular leader or a leader which, for whom there's a lot of kind of unhappiness within the party. Owen O'Malley is a social scientist at DCU. And so Boris Johnson, I suppose, ticked that box. There were a lot of people in the Tory party who weren't happy with his performance. His polls weren't uh, doing too well. Another ingredient that you need usually is that the leader has been in place for a long time. So Boris Johnson here hasn't that. Uh, so the, most of the time, T 
TDs or MPs are just looking at the next election. Saving their seats is one of the big things that we see as being important. so for Boris Johnson, he hasn't been around for a terribly long time, just about three years, and he brought them a pretty big majority. So that's that ingredient isn't uh, isn't there, and people might expect that if he won one election handsomely, there's no reason to believe that he mightn't win another one. So a third ingredient, I suppose, is that there is an alternative, uh, and an alternative that's better that they kind of can agree on. And that is one of the really key ingredients. The Roman plotters didn't have a clear successor and that ended up in a total mess. Former political editor of the Times of London, Philip Webster, says that also played a key role for Boris Johnson this week. The cabinet of today, the British cabinet of today, is not the kind of cabinet we've had in the past. This this, this is not a, a, cabinet, a cabinet of a strong... Uh, strong figures. One of the reasons why it probably didn't go over 180 last night was there was no obvious candidate there to succeed Boris Johnson if he was removed last night. Had there been an obvious successor, I think the figure would have been even higher. Understanding that can also be really key for a leader who's trying to fight a rearguard action against a challenge. In 1979, Charlie Hawhey took over as Fianna Fáil leader and Taoiseach from Jack Lynch, but was facing his own leadership challenges pretty quickly. We can see then when people were starting to challenge Hawhey, uh, Hawhey, one of the ways in which Hawhey responded was by to suggest names. So PJ Mara, for instance, Hawhey's uh, kind of media advisor uh, and more or less organiser, he there were at different times, there was Des O'Malley and there was George Colley at different times were the kind of likely successors to Hoy. But what Mara did was he'd throw in a few other names. And so Michael O'Kennedy was then suggested and a few, and then maybe Paddy Hillary might become back. And the point of that was to try and muddy the waters, to try and create some sort of uncertainty as to who they'll, who they might get. So, if you plan to stir up a plot against your boss, they need to be somewhat unpopular, probably have been in the job for a while, and you need to have a clear successor lined up. But even that is not a foolproof guarantee of success. They might not have been supporters of mine when my, when my friend Richard took to the field. <laughs> be that as it may. On the evening of Thursday the 10th of June 2010, the Irish Times released a new poll. It showed Labour was the most popular party in the country on 32% support, Fine Gael had dropped to 28% and support of Enda Kenny's leadership of Fine Gael was down 7 points to 24%, the lowest it had been since he became party leader in 2002. In steps Richard Bruton. Fine Gael has said, yes, let's get rid of the Senate. Let's reduce the size of the doll. Let's start reforming ourselves as part of, the, of, of a bigger ambitious plan to reform the country. Bruton had an unpopular leader who had been there for a long time and presented himself as a clear alternative. In a fiery five-hour Fine Gael meeting, future heavyweights Leo Baradkar, Simon Coveney and Pascal Donoghue were among those to speak against Enda Kenny's leadership. But he won that vote. And less than a year later, Enda Kenny was Taoiseach. He remembered it in his last leader's questions in the job. Um, there, there was the old, uh, the old adage from the, the Latin phrase, illegitimae non carborundum, as you're all aware. Translated to English, that means don't let the bastards grind you down. 
So perhaps we should change our previous rules to say that if there is a clear challenger, it needs to be a relatively popular one, or at least one people think they'll be better off with. And obviously it shows the impact of these heave. Had that been successful, Kenny would not have become Taoiseach. His whole history of his party would be different, and, and who knows what would have changed. It's like the butterfly effect. If, if that had happened, what else would have changed about how that government did business, for example? Would it have been any different? The, the answer is we don't know. And then Kenny faced a much more long-term heave himself, really. He didn't have to face a direct vote on his leadership again, but after a number of missteps, controversy about the treatment of whistleblower Morris McCabe, and with fears about how long his then-minority government would last, Enda Kenny stepped down to make way for a contest that Leo Varadkar won. And God knows we have some All-Ireland champions here in Castlebar. I don't mean Castlebar, Mitchells. I mean the Whingers that I hear every week saying, there's nothing happening. Other heaves have come as a bolt from the blue. Tonight, uh, I'm announcing that I'm resigning as a leader of the Labour Party. Alan Kelly had just two years as leader of the Labour Party before being ousted early this year. I was advised by my parliamentary colleagues on Tuesday morning uh, that they had lost collective confidence in my leadership. Uh, This was a surprise to me but I accepted the decision immediately. The big change there, along with internal issues with Kelly within the party, was the emergence of a new alternative, a new candidate in Ivana Bacic, who made it into the doll through a by-election just a few months before. Heaves don't happen every day, but there are potentially two more in the works that you need to watch out for. Both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil face leadership issues that are going to come to the fore later this year when the role of Taoiseach is due to be rotated. Fine Gael obviously has a leader who is under criminal investigation. And you can get the full skinny on that, by the way, by rolling back in your podcast feeds. Leo and the Leak was the first episode we did. And that situation is waiting a decision on the DPP, so we don't really know what's going to happen. But Fianna Falls may be more nuanced. Many expected Micheál Martin would step down or be pushed down on December 15th, 2022, when he has to resign as Taoiseach to let the Fine Gael leader take over. But no clear challenger has actually emerged since then. And within Fianna Fáil, Micheál Martin's broadly seen to be doing a pretty good job, especially after the first few rocky months of the coalition. There's a general sense that he's steadied the ship and is doing pretty well. No clear challenger has stepped forward either. Jim O'Callaghan's position has faded since he headed their disastrous by-election result, that one that saw Ivana Bacic elected. And not dissimilar to Boris Johnson's position, there are no big beasts in the cabinet on the Fianna Fáil side who look likely to step up and depose the Taoiseach. Dara O'Brien's got his hands full with housing, Stephen Donnelly the same with health, Charlie McConnellogue was the third choice agriculture minister, and Norma Foley is a first-time TD. Michael McGrath would likely be the strongest of the bunch, but there's no indication at all that he has any intention to lead a heave. Maybe strategically, Micheál Martin hasn't reappointed a deputy leader since Dara Kaliri left the post after Golfgate. And on top of that, all the serious challengers have that old phrase etched into their mind. He who wields the knife rarely wears the crown. Let's go back to Owen O'Malley. His father, Des O'Malley, of Fianna Fáil and Progressive Democrat fame, had plenty of history with heaves and Charlie Hawhey. And Owen says one of the big pitfalls of a heave can be disunity. One of the things that you could see from the O'Malley-led attempts to remove Hawhey was that they were very poorly organised. Uh, they didn't get the numbers in, they didn't 
They didn't work the back benches that in the way that they should have. They had Charlie McCreevy, for instance, called a no confidence motion without uh, anybody's approval and it was done before they they had managed to organize and so very often it was and you can see it this week uh, the that how he would sense a move against him and then he would expedite the vote and so the vote would take place much more quickly than you than the uh, the heavers wanted uh, and so again with Boris Johnson this week the, the the vote took place more or less the same day, which didn't give anybody a chance to try and organise uh, the opponents for against Johnson. So Boris Johnson has survived and under current party rules, at least, he can't be challenged for another year. He's likely going to lose two by-elections this month, but the pressure there has strangely eased up a bit. You wonder, had this been targeted just a few weeks later in the wake of, of two electoral defeats, would the result have been different? Would those MPs who are making that calculation about retaining their seats have changed their mind or knowing that they were going to lose these or likely to lose these that they already factored that in. Anyway, despite all that rancor in the camp, he's still Prime Minister and the Tories can be looked at as an example of how not to do a coup. We'll see if anyone this side of the Irish Sea has been watching and learning. So hopefully you're all ready to go and start the revolution in work now. Begin that undermining groundwork. But of course, don't blame me if it all goes horribly wrong. I'll be back next week with another edition of Let Me Explain. So please don't forget to subscribe and share far and wide. The episode was researched, written and presented by myself, Sean Defoe, with John Kyo's editorial eye and Lock and Heart on sound production. I'll chat to you next week.